I'm going to just dive head first into this word, if that's all right with you. First Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we've been preaching from. I'll take that as a text today, and we'll meander our way through this, and then we'll hear certain dynamic points for your destiny. And today you'll walk out of here with your shoulders square and your head held high, knowing you're a child of the king. Amen. How many of you are ready for a confidence builder today? Amen. Good. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica these words, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Listen to his confidence. Faithful is he that called you. Boy, that's good. Faithful is he that called you. He is faithful when we are faithless. Faithful is he that called you who will also do it. Say that he will do it. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled Shame, the Enemy of the Soul. Say that with me. Come on. Shame, the Enemy of the Soul. Father, give us revelation knowledge today as we hear the word of the Lord. And I ask you humbly to help me to preach things that I did not study to say. And more importantly, I pray that people will hear things in their spirit that I do not say that the Holy Spirit would speak to them. I thank you that there is deliverance in this room today. People are going to be rescued from stuff today. And we say, have your way. Every generational curse is broken. Every generational curse is broken. Any generational spirit that is diametrically opposed to your destiny is bound in the name of Jesus. Father, have your way. Come on, shout it with me. Have your way, Lord. Can you clap your hands to the Lord Jesus just one more time before you sit down? Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. I bring you greetings from my wife, Giovanna. She is at home with River Ricky, and he's doing great. And for those of you who would ask, yes, he is still in control of the house. He is the man. I'm just glad to inhabit his premises. He is the most wonderful little baby. And Giovanna is doing great, and she should be here in the next few weeks. But I'm giving her all the time she wants. She's really concerned about her first child. And, um, boy, he is, he is just something else. God is good, isn't he? I thank God for my relationship with my wife. Relationships are the currency of the kingdom. They are the network of life. It's important who you connect yourself to. Everyone you come into an acquaintance with is not necessarily your assignment. Quit carrying that burden. There are connections that God gives you in life that will help you further his kingdom. Recognize them and respect them. Can you say amen to that? So when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and he prays this prayer. I call it the prayer of wholeness. Our theme this month is oneness. Oneness. You must understand that oneness is wholeness. Oneness is wholeness. On Wednesday nights, we're doing relationship realities. 
This Wednesday night, Pastor Clint Brown and Kendall, his wife, will join Giovanna and I as we talk about relationship realities. Our goal is to build in our church a sense of wholeness. Amen? Everyone say oneness is wholeness. Amen. In relationships, the Lord said in the beginning of time, the two shall become one. That's the epitome of a healthy relationship. Two half people do not make a whole person. For you single people thinking that if you get married, you will be complete, you are fooling yourself. All right. It is unfair to bring fragmentation into a relationship and expect integration from the relationship. Integer means to be mature or to be complete, to be whole. An integer relationship, a relationship that is built on integrity, is a relationship that has embraced integration, a sense of wholeness. That's what we all desire. You have nothing to offer a relationship if you do not enter the relationship whole. Preaching good, Pastor Rick. Wholeness means without fragmentation. Put together properly. Wholeness is the quality of being complete. Wholeness is nothing broken and nothing missing. Nothing broken, nothing missing. It means spiritually, soulfully, or emotionally and mentally sound. Good stuff. Wholeness. How do you know you have a healthy soul? I wrote this this morning. To me, soul health means dismantling harmful lies about yourself. To dismantle harmful lies about yourself. I came in here as a construction worker today. We are about to obliterate every lie that has built, been built in your mind about who you are in this earth. And we're going to replace it with the truth of God concerning who you are in this life. Can you say amen to that? A healthy soul will produce a desire for victory in life while showing empathy for those who are suffering defeat. That's a healthy soul. A healthy soul does not attempt to control others through manipulation or entitlement. A healthy soul doesn't manage emotions like anger and indignation. No, a healthy soul masters those things. I believe for too long we have spoken to believers on thoughts concerning spirit and body and we've ignored the soul. And the soul is essentially important for you to realize your purpose in this earth. Your understanding of your soul will help you with your identity in the earth as you advance God's kingdom. A healthy soul follows the rule of the spirit and it denies unhealthy appetites of the flesh. 
A healthy soul loves the green pastures of rest and restoration while recognizing and resisting the chaotic atmospheres of tension that is caused by toxic relationships. Most of the trouble you have faced and have dealt with in your soul has come because of the people you have connected yourself to. Woo. There is a difference in spirit and soul. According to Hebrews chapter 4, they are connected, but they're separable. Your soul is the biggest part of you that relates to life and other people. Your spirit is the biggest part of you that relates to eternity and God. There's a difference. Your soul carries purpose. Your spirit drives purpose. The spirit is the aspect of humanity that connects with God. Your soul is the essence of humanity's being. It is who you are. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, from the dust of the ground God formed man and he breathed into man and man became a living soul. Your first expression of existence in this earth was soul. It means to breathe again. Your creation, the creation of you, is God gifting you with you. Meaning this, you will ultimately become what you decide yourself to be. Wow. Soul, self in Hebrew, person. Your mind, including your emotions, your ability, your will, it is your being. Your soul is the essence of your being. For those of you who have not been in attendance or watching online concerning the aspect of the soul, that was all a refresher course. We've gone through all of those things. But today... I brought revelation with me that is going to be found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And there goes the lights. And the Lord spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. By the way, that was not planned. I don't know what happened to the light. But I'm just glad God's word still works. Don't be doing that. That scares me just a little bit. Second Samuel, the day and age we live in when the lights go off. Okay. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Reading from the New American Standard of the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Is it all right if I preach in this building today? Okay, because I, I feel preachy today. You know what that means? That means your voice might get a little escalated, you know, elevated. You know what I'm saying? Remember, that, remember those days when we used to preach in church? I used to tell people all the time, you ain't had church unless you sweated a little bit. Somebody bobby pin got to pop out their hair. Somebody need to break a watch and kick a heel off. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, here it is. Then David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul so that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they summoned him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Then the king said, is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, one who is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent messengers who brought him from the house of Maker to the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, say that name, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. Then David said to him, listen to it carefully, do not be afraid. For I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. And you yourselves shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he fell and he said, what is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? I'm going to talk to you. Many of you have heard messages on Mephibosheth, but you've never heard this one. I'm going to talk to you about his name, his shame, and his fame. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, the king said, David speaking, is there not yet of any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said to the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. His name. David asked, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan? The answer to the question was, he has a son who is lame. Notice this. When he asked if anyone is left, the response was, a condition, not a character. He has a son, but he's lame. Isn't it interesting that many people like to refer to you according to a condition that they've either heard about or know about instead of just saying your name. So I start thinking about this guy, Ziba, and why would he introduce Mephibosheth to David by calling him by his condition and not his character? And I realize that Ziba is the servant of Saul. Saul is dead, which means Ziba is now in control of Saul's entire inheritance. There are people that are called opportunists that are waiting to capitalize on your condition. Ziba was threatened by Mephibosheth. <laughs> Strong stuff. People that are concerned about you potentially replacing them have names for you. They have names for you. 
He has a son, but the son is crippled. He's lame. In other words, you don't want him, David. He's useless. He's worthless. He has a horrible condition. Surely, Ziba's intention was to disqualify Mephibosheth from what was rightfully his. So instead of referring to him by his name, he referred to him by his condition. He has a son, but he's useless. See, labeling is when you give yourself or you allow others to give you a label or a name as though a single word could describe you completely. Never allow what you have done to define who you are. You are a human being. You are not a human doing. What? you have done can bring labels and people love labels Rahab never did rid herself of her label even in Hebrews chapter 11 she's not called Rahab the good girl in Hebrews 11 she's still called Rahab the prostitute listed in the hall of faith with a label. I have decided something. Some people are never going to let you escape their label of you. You're going to always be known as Ricky the. They're never going to just call you by your name or who you are. They're going to always refer to you by either what they've heard or what they've experienced. That's called labeling. The question is, how did he wind up in his condition? Mephibosheth. Well, you find the answer in 2 Samuel 4, 4. Jonathan saw, Jonathan saw a son, had a son that was lame on his feet. Watch. He was five years old when the tidings came to Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled because judgment was coming to the house of Saul. I'll just say this. Be careful what house you belong to. I'll keep going. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Two words. Help me, Holy Ghost. He fell. Two words. He fell. How did he wind up in this condition? He fell. Have you ever fallen from grace? No, you haven't. It's impossible to fall from grace because grace will still be here after you gone. I'll ask it another way. Have you ever fallen? Yes, you have. It's called losing face, not losing grace. Have you ever fallen? I just got questions for you. Have you ever fallen so hard that it crippled you. What do you mean, Pastor Rick? The fall didn't make you stop. It just slowed your walk down to a crawl. You fell so hard that it began to slow your progress down. 
You're going to still make it, just not as fast as you would have if you had not fallen. Okay, let me just go ahead and clear up the room here. I'm beginning to realize as I preach, there's only about four or five of us in this building that's ever experienced anything like that. But I'm going to go ahead and preach to you and let everybody else hear because if you get happy, your joy might be contagious to somebody else. But I know one thing. There's at least four or five people in here that have fallen in life so hard that you could not walk anymore. You had to crawl. But your determination said, even if I have to crawl, I'm going to get there. Is there anybody going through a crawling season in your life? Some of y'all think you always soar with eagles, but you don't. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That tells me that we don't always fly. Sometimes we have to run. And sometimes we can't run. We have to walk. And sometimes when you can't walk, you can only crawl. But when you really believe in the purpose of God in your life, you never allow your condition, even if your condition is one of crawling, to stop you from becoming everything that God ordained you to be. I've had some crawling seasons. Oh, Lord have mercy. Maybe he fell not because of what he did, But the Bible mentions he had a nurse. And the word nurse means a protector and a provider. In other words, maybe it wasn't his responsibility that he failed. Maybe it was the person that he trusted that failed. Have you ever been so disappointed by someone that was supposed to be nourishing you? They were supposed to be nurturing you. They were supposed to be providing for you. They were supposed to be protecting you. And they dropped you. And it wasn't your fault that caused you to be in a crippled condition. But it was their irresponsibility concerning you that you became so disappointed in them that it crippled you. Maybe he was dropped. And I don't know if you've ever been disappointed by leadership at that level. But four or five of us have. That it affected us so bad because we trusted them so much that when they fell, they dropped us. Hmm. Chapter 9, verse 4. Let's look at his shame. Are y'all still with me? David said, where is he? And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar. Lord, touch these people today. From the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, this is the first time we've heard his name. The son of Saul came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David, David said, Mephibosheth, he said, at your service. Now, many people preach on Mephibosheth And they say that Mephibosheth's name means shame. I'm going to fix you theologically today. You're going to (laughs) learn. His name does not mean shame. 
Mephibosheth literally means the, the dispeller of shame. His name literally means my shame is gone. That's what his name really means. See, but you can't address the absence of shame without dealing with the presence of shame. If shame is gone, then that means it was there. Some of you came in here with shame, but today you leave in here, tell your neighbor with no shame in my game. No shame. See, there's a difference in guilt and shame. Guilt is a feeling of wrongdoing. What I did is not good. This is associated with behavior. What I did was wrong. But shame is different. Shame is a feeling of inadequacy. It's a sense of worthlessness. It's associated with not, not with behavior, but with being. It doesn't say what I did is wrong. It says who I am is wrong. That's shame. It relates to the essence, to the self, to the being. It relates to your soul. Have you ever been so deep in shame David said in Psalm 69 that shame had encompassed his life to the point that his bones were rottening within him. Shame is the rottenness of your structure. It's when you begin to cave in internally. Shame is the enemy of your soul. So you say, Pastor Rick, how do you know that Mephibosheth is suffering from shame? Because the Bible tells me. In 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 8, when Mephibosheth looked at David, he said, who am I that you would pay attention to a dog like me? That resonates with me, and I'm going to tell a little bit of my testimony. And a few guys in this church have talked to me before about being so vulnerable about my testimony. Pastor Rick, you don't have to be that transparent about your testimony. But I'm going to be that transparent about my testimony. And real is real. And I remember being a teenager, and everybody hates me talking about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I'm going to show you what God can do. You know, Reefer was a friend of mine. Me and Reefer were buddies. Some of y'all don't know what Reefer is. Look it up in the dictionary. And it's really Randy's fault. It really is Randy's fault. It really is. That is, that is, that is called projection. I remember being 13 years old. I didn't say remember. You know, when you go country, I remember. I remember being 13 years old, and we was in the barn, and we just pulled the horses in, took the halters off of them. He pulled out of his back pocket a pink paper about that long. I said, what is that? And he said, a zigzag. That's before pre-rolls. What y'all know about pre-rolls? 
Oh, okay. Let me check this side. That side there. Y'all don't know nothing about this over here. He lit that thing and he said, smoke that. And when your older brother says smoke it, you don't say I don't want to. Because it kind of comes with a push into your lips. You know, here, smoke this. So I did and nothing happened. I went down to uh, my house and before I knew it, you know, I had my velvet poster on the wall with the black light. Y'all didn't have that in your bedroom, I'm sure. With a fishnet on the ceiling. Vicky, you know about that, don't you? So I had my black light on. Uh, turn on Jimi Hendrix. You know him. And Purple Haze. And uh, you must understand, none of my family was saved at this time. We were all professional heathens. Like we, we, we had degrees in heathenism in my family. You know, there was stages, you know, and we were, yeah, I wasn't raised in church for y'all that don't know that. I never went to church in my life till I was 15 years old. Never stepped in church till I was 15. And, uh, <laughs> well, after me and Jimmy had our experience, that became very likable to me. I enjoyed that. And before long, I found myself doing things I shouldn't do. And I could go on and on about that. But one day, I walked down an alt to an altar when I was late 15 and gave my life to Jesus Christ. Changed my appetites. Changed my passions. And I was saved in one of them churches where you get baptized, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost all in one night. <laughs> so you get saved. You're going to get baptized, and you're going to speak in tongues. And, and if you don't, they help you. Time about that, time about that. Crank my Honda, crank my Honda, crank my Honda. But you're going to do something. And guess who got saved with me? My brother Randy. So we both missed out on strawberry papers and Jimmy. And I remember trying so hard to live every day. I got so saved that I got the family Bible off the, you know, the table. In, you know that big white one that turns yellow after a while with the gold trim, thick? And I was like, because my youth pastor was telling me, you, you have to make a stand. You got to let them know. You are saved. I said, buddy, you don't have to tell me that, but one time, I got that big old Bible. I went to school. I walked down the hall with it. And everybody was like, what's wrong with Hawk? Look at Hawk. What happened to him? Boy, I was marching in there. When they got ready to say the prayer, that, you know, when we used to pray in school, they called it the silent prayer. Not me. They bowed their head. I lifted mine. Lord, I thank you for my whole class. Save my teacher. Save my friends. Touch Johnny. Touch Kelly. I went through the whole list, man. I'm calling everybody out. 
And everybody's saying, you have lost your mind. And every Sunday, I feel guilty about something. I didn't care if I did something wrong or not. I felt guilty. I mean, I felt bad. I just felt bad for living. I was like, God, I got to get to that altar. I'm still alive. None of y'all ever been like that. I mean, you give an altar call, I'm like, oh, Jesus, help. Save me again, Jesus. And that was me, man. And I remember the Valentine banquet. Well, by this time, I had been expelled from public school, put in a private school, had my little flag with my little uniform, ACE. Some of the religious people are looking at me like, God have mercy. I can't believe he's saying all this. We did Father Abraham had many sons. And you had to do it. You had to be 18 years old. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So, right on. And I was really saved, man. I was really saved. Saved to the bone. And Valentine came around. Oh, Jesus. Well, I saw all these girls. Man, I liked them all. There was nothing gay in me at all. Nothing. I liked them, boy. I said, oh, Lord. So my buddy's going to me, which one are you going to take to the banquet? I said, I'm going to take them all. He said, are you serious? I said, yeah, bro. I'm inviting that one, that one, that one, and that one. The whole cheerleading squad. I was quarterback, boy, I run over there by the cheerleaders. Y'all watch. I was saved. And my youth pastor, I won't call no names, Gary McIntosh. <laughs> he found out about it. So he calls me in my office. I go in there with my little blue dickies on, my little white polo shirt. Sit down, sir. He said, Rick, are you going to the Valentine? Yes, sir. Who are you bringing? I said, well, they don't know it, but I'm bringing these four right here. He said, well, no, you're not, because you're not going. I said, what, excuse me? He said, you're not going to the banquet. I said, why? He said, Rick, you, you kind of remind me of a dog. Now, you got to know where I'm from. I ain't that saved. I just got saved. That's when you just a little saved. I said, sir, I, no one's ever called me a dog, sir. He said, well, you're living like a dog. You just run around. You be Any dog in heat, you won't be with. I said, well, I didn't see no harm in it. I said, I was just going to get some candy and bring them to the banquet. No, you're not going. 
But I remember going home, no fault of his own. He was trying to be a good mentor, and he was. Pastor Gary had as much influence in my life as anyone had, ultimately, but right then he hurt himself with me. <laughs> because I just think that's a little bit too far. You know, there's a way to handle this. Like, son, you can't bring four, pick one. That would have worked a little better with me. But I remember not being able to sleep good at night because of being called a dog, and I couldn't shake it. I could not shake that label of being a dog. So when Mephibosheth says, why would you show this kindness to a dog like me? That was shame speaking. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I don't know about you all, but I've done things to put myself in a condition that I felt like a dog. Now, no one else has ever done that in here because y'all didn't get saved when you was 15. You come out the womb saved. I mean, you've been saved your whole life. But there's some of us in here. We didn't get saved right out the mother's womb. We, we've been through some stuff in our life. He lived in Lodabar, which means no pasture. Psalm 23 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But when you're in, you're in Lodabar, you don't have pasture, which means you do not have rest, which means you do not have restoration. There's no pasture. There's no rest for a soul that is sick with shame. Are y'all hear what I'm telling you? It means no word, Lodabar, no word, and no communication. Have you ever been through something so bad that you can't talk about it? Have you ever been through something so bad you feel like I cannot tell anyone about what I've been through? No communication, no word out of your mouth. And you carry it not knowing that you have locked yourself in a prison called shame. Shame now is not what you've done. Shame is who you are. Mm. I've learned something about the God I serve. If there is one thing that he has pitted himself against, it's shame in his people. I'm going to show it to you and we're going to be done. But watch what David says in verse 7. Then David said to Mephibosheth, do not be afraid. You know what shame does? Shame convinces you to live in fear. Because if you talk about it, people are going to look at you differently. So you stay in the prison of shame and fear is the captain of the prison. And it holds you in there. And you're not able to talk about what you've been through. You're not able to talk about the molestation when you were a child, the abuse from a father. You've not been able to talk about that because you're afraid if you tell anybody, they're going to look at you differently. The most painful words I've ever heard from my grandchildren is when one said, I don't want you to look at me differently. And religion guards fear. And fear is the captain of shame. Religion loves to remind you 
that you are blank. You did this. I came today to strip the label off of you and to tell you you are not who they said you are because of what you did. You are who God said you are because of what he's done. Y'all ain't hearing me in this building. When Jesus shows up, he lifts a woman caught in the act of adultery. And he says, go and sin no more. When Jesus shows up, he walks to a pool and he tells a man, be made whole. Take up your bed and walk. When Jesus shows up, he stops for a woman with an issue of blood that is fully ashamed of her condition. And he says, your faith has made you whole. God is here today to make you whole. No more shame. No more fear. If I could get some help in this building right now. No more fear. No more shame. No more prison. I remember, y'all can sit down one more time. But if there's any shame going on in, in, in this building today, we're going to shame the devil forever messing with you, forever lying to you, forever touching you, forever. Woo! I remember when I went through a darker season of my life, sitting in a hotel, uh, uh, in a restaurant. I left the hotel, was in a restaurant. And people showed up in the restaurant that I knew, and they knew me. They saw me and moved three tables down. I was by myself. Pastors. And I wanted to take my napkin and just put it over my head because I was so ashamed by their reaction to seeing me. They all heard from Pastor Rick. Once I got whole... I let them all know, y'all free, y'all free, because I forgive you, because when I forgive you, you not only free, bigger than that, I free myself, and some of you are coming out of your prison today, because you're going to forgive people that put shame in your life because of what they did to you, and when you forgive them, you become free, somebody shout, let them go, let them go. It's in your past. It's under the blood. It has no halt on you. It has no strength to control you. Let them. I wish I had five people that have been delivered from shame in this building today to jump up and give God a praise for your freedom. You don't have to be afraid. Hey, somebody shouted, I don't have to be in shame. I don't have to be afraid. You say, Pastor Rick, how much? You can stand, sit, whatever you want to do. I'm at the end now. Woo, Holy Ghost. You say, Pastor Rick, how much does God not like shame? Zephaniah 3.14, sing, daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Now, let me just say this for people that like quiet church. That scripture don't fit. We'll say it again. Sing, daughter of Zion. Zion is the church. Shout. Be glad. Rejoice with all your heart. 
So when people look at you and say it don't take all that, look at them and remind them you ain't been where I've been. You have not gone through what I've gone through. There's a reason I got to shout. There's a reason I have to dance. There's a reason I have to rejoice. Watch this. He says, the Lord has taken away your judgments. He cast out your enemy. Even the Lord in the midst of you. You shall not see evil anymore. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not Zion. Let not your hands be slack. Let's skip down to verse 19. Behold at that time. I will undo all that afflict you and I will save them that halteth and I will gather them that was driven out. And watch what he says. I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. God is about to replace your shame with fame. Don't get it wrong. We're not talking about famous we're not talking about celebrity status. We're not talking about popularity. Because the fact is, some people ain't never going to like you. You ain't never going to be popular in their eyes. You ain't never going to be nothing but what they saw you as. Don't worry about them. Just give them a little nod of the head, a little smile of the face, and keep on going your merry way. Because God did not give them the authority to judge what he has redeemed. And I came to tell you, you are more valuable than to care about what other people have an opinion of. And he said, I'm going to give you fame. And in the Hebrew, fame means this. Honor, character, dignity, and authority. I'm going to give you honor, character, dignity, and authority. It's the prodigal son who wasted it all. Where was daddy? He was on the porch when the boy came home. He didn't look at him and say, because of what you did, you have lost your position in my house. No, when that boy came home, the father immediately removed shame from his life. And he said, get my ring, get my robe, get my sandals, kill the fatted calf because my son who was lost is now found. He was gone, but he's back in the house. And all oh, if believers would treat people like they are hurting souls instead of sick individuals, we would see more restoration in the house of God. I wish I had 30 people to give him praise right now. I'm almost done because some of you think, well, that's real good about shame, Pastor Rick. No, I'm going to tell you again, he's about to turn your shame into fame. Isaiah 61, 7, for your shame you shall have double. For your shame, you shall have double. I came by to tell you that everything you lost in your season of shame is about to come back to you in double portions. The only reason you won't receive a double portion is because you feel like you disqualified yourself from it. If you could have saved yourself, you would have done that a long time ago. The fact is you cannot save yourself. You cannot cleanse yourself. You cannot forgive. Only God can make you whole. Only God can cleanse you. So quit acting like the deed. Start acting like a son or a daughter. People will hold you down for the rest of your life over something they found out about you. Especially Christians. And just look at them and smile and nod 
and say, your opinion means nothing to me. Praise the Lord, brother. All right. Let me ask this question. Has anybody in the building ever been through a season of shame? All right. Today, any shame in your life is removed by the power of the Lord. The Lord is going to give you double for, for the shame you've gone through in life. Hallelujah. There's nothing worse than having to apologize for living. Nothing worse than having to apologize for living. Every place you walk into, you feel like you've got to apologize for being there. Stand over in the corner. You avoid people. That's shame. Shame is not of God. That is not who you are. Somebody shout it as loud as you can. Shame is gone. That's what Mephibosheth means. The dispeller of shame. Shame showed up. But it didn't hold me. I'll end with this. David said, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. That's, you know what that means? There are people that don't like seeing you at the table. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence. Right in the presence of your scrutinizers. Right in the presence of your haters. God prepares a table for me. Watch what, watch what David tells Mephibosheth. You shall eat at my table for the rest of your life regularly. Which means anytime you're hungry show up at my table you know what I've learned I wish I had a table up here today I've learned this you just walked up there with your normal self but some of us but guess what happens when we sit at the table we all look alike When we sit at the table, you can't see what nobody been through. At the table, we all look alike. Lift those hands and let's worship him today. Come on, everybody.
you're about to sing that one more time before we do if you say Pastor Rick this was my word today I needed this word shame is the enemy to your soul when you live in shame it's impossible to have a healthy soul if you say Pastor this was my word today I'm going to be delivered from shame I needed this word today I want you to come to the altar right now as we sing it. You can spread out, you know, social distance if you will. But I want you to come. If it was, this is your word. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, Jamie. control you fear does not control you come out of that prison come out of that prison shame has no hold on you shame has you will not be ashamed anymore after today the shame is gone say it with me make it personal my shame is gone Say it again, my shame is gone. Listen, God cannot stand 
shame. He does not want you to be shamed. So say it one more time. My shame is gone. My shame is gone. Let me read these to you. Take this home. I wrote these five things down the other day. Guilt will tell you what you did is not good. Shame tells you that you are no good. You will never read in the Bible where God says you are no good, number one. Number two, never allow what you did to define who you are. You are a human being, not a human doing. Number three, never buy into the belief that you deserve shame no matter what has transpired. Number four, try to right the wrongs with people you may have hurt, but understand that some people will never reverse their opinion of you. Let them go. No matter how bad you feel or how much you love them, you can't make them love you. Their opinion does not change your value. Number five, do not allow others to manipulate or dominate you while you are in the recovery mode of being whole. They will try to shame you, refuse it, love them, and be you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, give him the biggest praise you can give him, everybody. I feel like, I feel like we need to pray this prayer. I feel like we need to pray this prayer. Just, if you would just bow your heads just for a moment, and everyone in the building, pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you that you love me with an unconditional love. Today, I receive that love, and I realize I am forgiven, and I realize I am cleansed by your blood. I am your child. I thank you for saving me and filling me with your spirit. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Thank you, Lord. For your work in my life, in the name of Jesus. Amen.